opportunity to say happy Thanksgiving since I won't be seeing you a lot of a lot of you on Thursday. Um, I also want to take this opportunity to recognize uh, we have a special guest with us here this morning, at least special to me. My junior high school pastor, Kurt Johnson, is here with his, his family this morning. And um, Kurt was the one who gave me the opportunity to preach my first sermon at the ripe old age of 13. Um, so if do me a favor. Find Kurt after the service. I think he's going to need a little bit of encouragement after he hears me and just say, Kurt, it's not your fault. <laughs> he was a hopeless case. You did your best. There was nothing you could have done. Don't blame yourself. Um, Thanksgiving is my favorite American holiday for the reason that it's the it's the holiday that's still most unadulterated. It's the one that hasn't been corrupted or twisted or, or changed. Um, Christmas has been co-opted now for over a century. You know, it's been repackaged and, and made into this totally different thing, which is fine. Uh, but it's it's harder to do that with Thanksgiving, partly because the purpose of the holiday is right there in the title, in, in plain English, Thanksgiving. That's what we're supposed to do on this day, give thanks, a day for giving thanks. I want to read you from Abraham Lincoln's original declaration of the day of Thanksgiving. This is 1863 in the middle of the Civil War. Lincoln uh, is not only America's greatest president, he, he has a good claim to being America's greatest theologian, too. And this is from his, uh, his declaration, 1863. The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies to these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be so solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. The interesting thing about this idea of thanksgiving, giving thanks, is it immediately raises this question, well, to whom? Who am I supposed to give thanks to? It's a God-centric holiday. It's a God-centric day because he's the one we thank. Who else are you going to thank? You, you don't sit down at the meal and thank, oh, thank, thank my hands, thank my hard work, thank my brains, thank, all my, thank my network. Thank you, network, for all the blessings in my life. No, you thank God. This is one of the most difficult phenomena that an atheist can explain. It's very difficult to explain away this feeling when, when you go out like on a starry night, not here in the city, but somewhere where you can actually see the stars, and you look up and you feel overwhelmed with gratitude. Who are you thankful to? Who are you thankful to? Where is that gratitude coming from, and where is it supposed to be directed? Thanksgiving is the day where we stop and remember we stop and give thanks. So that's why it's my favorite. Now, I will admit the counterpoint to the other side. I always try to fight fair in an argument, even though it's just me up here 
want to represent the other side, which is for, for the, the Thanksgiving detractor would say, sure, fine, everybody knows what Thanksgiving is about, but that doesn't mean that it actually happens. Sure, we know the meaning of Thanksgiving. Let's say, oh, it's, it's not like Christmas where we've actually twisted it or perverted it. It's still pure and simple, but it, does it actually happen? Do we actually do it between all the preparations and all the eating and the football games and the parade and all these things? Often the only real Thanksgiving that actually gets done is a short prayer by one person right before the meal. That's it. That's the whole thing. So we, we know what it is. We haven't, we're not confused about it, but we're, we still don't do it. And in some ways, this negligence is even worse than confusion. We know exactly what this day is for, but we have such a hard time making it happen. So what's the answer? How do we make Thanksgiving different this year? How do we make it what it's supposed to be? Well, the answer isn't, um, some of you will be relieved to know, you don't have to not watch football. Um, and it's not about like, you know, you start your prayer and you've got a stopwatch and you make sure you, you pray at least five minutes. It's not that. You don't have to cancel all the festivities with friends or the meal or anything. It's easier than that, but it's also harder than that in a way. The way to make Thanksgiving different this year is you've got to start earlier. You've got to start a lot earlier. And it's already Sunday, you know, so we've only got like this week. So what I want to do this morning is I want to get started. I want to get started even before we leave this morning on Thanksgiving this year on doing this activity that this day is set apart for. The Bible tells us four ways to give thanks, four primary ways that we're supposed to express our gratitude and thanks to God. So I want to cover those this morning, but before we do that, I want to do something else, which is I want to talk about what it is that we have to be thankful for. And not just the, the normal things of uh, friends or family or provision, those kind of things, but the unique promises of God in the Bible. Why, sh- why is it that we should be uniquely thankful? So that's the first thing, the first part of this morning's message. Four reasons to be thankful, and then the second part is four ways to show that gratitude. Now in that first part, the four things I'm thankful for, um, there are hundreds of promises in the Bible, hundreds of things that God gives us that we can be thankful for. So how did I choose these four? These are just my personal favorites this year. These are the things that I'm thankful for this year. Uh, Julie Andrews has that classic slash cute slash annoying song in The Sound of Music, Raindrops on Roses and Mittens on Kittens. Uh, I'm going to stop there because I know more, but I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, so that's, that's what this is. That, what's the point of that song? It's kind of like, a list. Here are the things I love. Here are the things I love. And that song's about like little things that don't matter. So I want to do that this morning with the big stuff, with the, the big stuff that really matters. What are the things that I love? What are the things that I'm thankful for? And then talk about how do we show that gratitude. Before we do all that, let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for what you've given us. And we know that we so often fail to take the necessary time to express our gratitude and to think about the things that you've so freely given us. God, this morning we want to pause. We want to take a second to stop and remember who it is that you are and what you've done for us and also take a minute to think about how it is that we can show our gratitude to you. God, guide us as we talk about these things and open our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you take out your program... I've got a representative verse for each of these things on the back of your program, and you can write these in above the verses if you like, or you can just follow along. The first thing I'm thankful for, letter A there on your program, is I'm thankful for God's grace. 
first thing I'm thankful for this Thanksgiving is God's grace. Let me read this verse from Ephesians chapter 2. You've been saved by grace through believing. You did not save yourselves. It was a gift from God. We've been talking about this theme a lot this fall, pretty much incessantly, this idea that God's favor, God's acceptance, God's blessing in your life isn't something that you can merit for yourself. It's something that you kind of have to receive as a free gift. But the tricky part of that is for successful, accomplished people or for good people, the tricky part is figuring out that you need it, really feeling this sense of desperation. God says there's a door open to you if only you can realize that you need me and you need my help, you need my mercy. I'm glad that God doesn't give me what I deserve. I'm glad that instead he accepts me as a son. And I think that for some people, there's still this, this sense of, well, okay, so God's merciful to me. Well, why do I really need mercy? I mean, why is this mercy so important? I mean, I haven't killed anybody. You know, what's, what's the deal here? I'm not going to go into that this morning because we've spent so much time already talking about it, trying to get in touch with your own insufficiency. All I'll say, just again, is that I think most of us kind of know intuitively without having anybody, needing anybody to tell us that we're not good enough. We're not good enough to deserve God's acceptance, to deserve God's love. We know that. All that being a Christian means is just saying it out loud, just being explicit about it and saying, God, I need your help. There's a lot of people that spend their entire lives trying to ignore the basic fact that they need somebody to save them. And God says, I'm here, I'm waiting for you. If you would just say, "Um, God, I've got a lot of stuff figured out. I can get a lot of stuff straightened out, but the one thing that I'm having trouble with is me you can just say that to him, he says, okay, let me, let me come and do that. It's the first thing I'm thankful for this Thanksgiving is God's grace. The second thing there on your program, letter B, second thing I'm thankful for this Thanksgiving is God's changes in my life, the changes he's making in me, my changed life. First, God's grace. Second, my changed life. I am grateful that I'm not the person that I used to be. I'm also grateful that I'm not the person that I'm becoming. I'm not the person that I'm going to be someday. I used to have a little sign on my uh, bedroom door that said, please be patient, God isn't finished with me yet. And there's something really true about that. I'm really glad that I'm not yet the person God's turning me into. But at the same time, I'm so glad that I'm not the person that I was. I'm so thankful that I hurt the people that I love just a little bit less this year than I did last year. I'm so thankful that I spent my time and energy on things that really mattered just a little bit more this year than I did last year. The first thing, being thankful for God's grace, is this idea that God loves you exactly the way you are. You don't have to clean anything up before you come to him and he'll accept you. But this second thing, being grateful for my changed life, is a corollary to that, which is once you come to God, Yes, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you far too much to let you stay that way, and he'll begin making changes in your life. And I'm thankful for that in my life. Last week, we, we emphasized that these changes often take effort on our part. We have to put forward some work to do this. But don't let that aspect of it make you lose sight of the fact that it's still God, the one that's making these changes. Look on your program here under letter B. This is from Philippians chapter 2. For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. Who is it that's giving you this desire to change? It's God. Who is it that's giving you the power to change? It's God. So why, while it takes work on our part as well, 
it's still ultimately God the one God is the one who's making these changes in your life, who's helping you to become something. And we all are becoming something. I think that we think of ourselves as static souls, you know, that we're just kind of who we are. But you're headed in one direction or another. You think that you're going to just become this, like, patient, wise, mellow, old person. You're not. You're not without God's working. I mean, how many cranky old people do you know? You know, and that's not, I don't, that's no disrespect to old people. I know lots of mellow, wise old people, too. But it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. God has got to be in your life. You're becoming something. You're headed in one direction or another. And if you don't know which direction you're headed in, it's probably the one you don't want to be headed in. Are you thankful for God's changes in your life this Thanksgiving? The third thing I'm thankful for this year, letter C, is I'm thankful for God's plan. I'm thankful for God's plan. From Jeremiah chapter 29. I have good plans for you, says the Lord. I don't plan to hurt you. I plan to give you hope and a good future. I want to take a second to meditate on one of the mind-bending aspects of God's truth this morning. This is something that, kind of like infinity, you can't really try to wrap your mind around it or else your mind is going to end up in knots, not worth anything. So you kind of just have to accept it, let it seep in. The truth is that God uses... Even the things that we do wrong, even our mistakes, and even the things that other people do wrong to us. And he somehow weaves those into his plan for our life and brings good out of them. Now, again, this isn't, you can't go all logical with me on this one. You cannot try to turn this into a formula and then build mathematical proofs on it. Well, if that's true, if God uses everything for good in my life, then it must not matter what I do, or it must not matter what anybody does, or this or that. It doesn't work like that. It's not that type of truth. It's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. You have to say it in a hushed tone. You have to say it humbly. But you also have to accept it. You have to accept the testimony of thousands of millions of Christians who have seen this happen and realize that God has a plan for your life and he's weaving the events of your life together for good. That should bring you great comfort. Some of you have made terrible mistakes. Some of you made terrible mistakes this year. God still has a plan for your life. Some of you have been hurt in terrible ways. People have done things to you, or, or just stuff has happened. Really painful stuff has happened. Though it defies logic, though it's not something that you can kind of put down in bullet points, it's still nevertheless true that God has a plan for your life, and he's using those things as part of it. He's taking you somewhere. He has something that he wants for you, and it's good. It's a beautiful future. I'm thankful for that. Like I said, it should bring you comfort. That word comfort reminds me of a verse in Acts where it says the early church um, was filled with a fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And that tension is kind of the only appropriate way to respond to this truth about that God works everything for good in your life. It's this tightrope. You have to be right in the middle. You can fall off on either side, and both are equally bad. So if you, if you get into thinking, well, okay, God works everything for good, so nothing I do matters. It's not a big deal. That's obviously bad. You don't want to be in that place. But don't you see that it's just as bad to fall off on the other side? It's just as bad to worry. It's just as bad to fret and to be afraid that you're going to mess things up. He has a plan for you. He's a good God, and he's taking care of you. It's the third thing I'm thankful for this Thanksgiving. The fourth and final thing I'm thankful for, letter D, is I'm thankful for my home. I'm thankful for my home. And I don't mean like my apartment. I mean a, a more permanent home. Let me read this from, from 1 Peter chapter 1. Carla read it earlier. 
God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God, in his mighty power, will make sure that you get there safely to receive it because you are trusting him. So be truly glad. On my, on my best days, I like living here. And by here, I don't just mean New York. I mean like earth. I like, I like, I like living here on my best days. I'm happy. Uh, I feel almost at home. I feel almost at home here. On my worst days, you can ask Brittany about this. On my worst days, I have an aching, I have an aching sense of disappointment, an aching sense of not belonging, the sense of not being where I'm supposed to be, of things not being right. And God says, yeah, of course you do, because I'm going to start over. I'm going to make things new. We're going to do it over again, and I want you to be a part of that. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm preparing a place for you in this new reality. God says, I'm going to make all things new, new heaven, new earth, and I want you to be there. What's this place going to be like, this new reality, this new creation, this kingdom of God? What can we say about it? Four things really quickly. First thing is you'll be reunited. You'll be reunited with the people that you love, individuals, but we'll also be reunited as peoples, you know, across these, these lines that divide us. The second thing is you'll be rewarded. We talked about this. We hit on this pretty hard last week. The Bible says in this new creation, you'll be rewarded for your faith, for your service, for the things you did on earth. There's that, that line in uh, the Gladiator movie like 10 years ago. Um, what we do in life echoes in eternity. That's biblical theology. That's very accurate. The Bible says you'll be rewarded for what you do on earth. The third thing is you'll be reassigned. One of the biggest misconceptions about this new creation is that it's going to be kind of like just a long vacation and you kind of sit on clouds and and play harps and stuff. That's not heaven. That would be hell. Um, The Bible says that when when you get to this new creation, you'll be reassigned. You'll be given a job to do. In the Garden of Eden, Adam had work to do. Work isn't bad. Work is a good thing. What's bad is the way it's kind of become corrupted. So it's like really difficult to get anything done, and there's a lot of mundane stuff that you have to do in between. In the new creation, it's going to be all meaningful, all fulfilling work all the time. You'll be reassigned. The, The fourth and final thing is you'll be released. You'll be released from all these things that keep you down, this pain, this frustration, this anxiety, you're released from all of it. No tears in heaven, in the new creation. Now, uh, reassigned, released, reunited, rewarded, I mean, that sounds pretty good. In fact, it sounds a little bit too good. It sounds a little bit too good to be true. It sounds a little bit Pollyanna. I want to do a little, um, you fill in the blank. So I'm going to start a phrase, and then you all, you all fill it in for me. If it sounds too good to be true, it... Thank you. Thank you. Now, we all know that, and we all have to know that. Why? Because we're all acquainted with disappointment. We all live in this same world where you need, to some extent, uh, cynicism and skepticism. Cynicism, skepticism. These are really ugly words, but they're kind of like necessary parts of the human toolbox. I, um, I consider myself a moderately seasoned New Yorker. Um, I'm, you know, I don't think of myself as really naive. I'm, I'm not afraid to be rude if called for. I'm good at ignoring people. Um, but there's one, there's one thing that every New Yorker will always go for. It's so 
funny to watch this, which is if somebody asks for directions. Everybody's super nice if somebody asks for directions. I think because it, you know, it strokes our pride. We're like, oh, yeah, I know. I know how to get there. You just take this train. And you know, if somebody asks for directions, you've got like a crowd of five New Yorkers around them trying to help. So anyway, I'm susceptible to this too. I'm standing on, this is a, a couple months ago. I'm standing on a corner like 34th and, and Madison. And this car pulls up, really nice car, uh, really handsome, well-groomed, well-dressed man pulls up and really strong accent. And he says, uh, can, you, can you help me? I need some help um, with directions. And so I walk over to the car and he said, he's like, well, I'm from Italy and um, I'm trying to get back to the airport. So can you show me how to get to, to Newark Airport? So he had a map there and I showed him how to go. And he was really nice, really grateful, really appreciative. Being, you know, he was like, you know, next time you're in Italy, espresso on me. You know, I'm like, all right, yeah. <laughs> See you there. Um, but, then, but then he says, well, actually, you know what? I, I think I've got something for you. And he says, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm a designer. I'm here from Milan. I'm actually here for Fashion Week. And he pulls out these, these coats. Well, no, first he says, he goes, do you like, like nice designer men's coats? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean... I, do you have to have owned one to like one? Um, so he, he pulls out three or four coats, and he's like, I want to I give one of these to you um, to say thank you. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So he, he starts showing me these coats, and he's like, which one do you like? I'm like, well, I like, I like this one. And, I'm, and he, he says his explanation is, you know, if I take these on the plane, these coats each retail for like $5,000. And the taxes on these will be hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So I, I've got to unload them. And so I'm already thinking how much I can sell this for on eBay as soon as I get home. So I pick out my coat, and then he goes, there's just one thing. Um, see, I, I really want to buy a PlayStation for my son before I leave. And I'm like, what? Like, I have no idea where he's going at this point. A couple minutes later, I finally figure out he wants me to buy the coat. And the entire thing from the very beginning, from the first request for directions, was all an elaborate setup to get me to say, oh, well, I'd, you know, I'd pay 100 bucks for a $5,000 coat that was really $50, you know. But from the beginning, from the beginning, and I was suckered all the way through to that last step. You need cynicism. You need skepticism to survive. You have to have these things. They're these valid lines of defense that protect you from the world. But here's the saddest thing I can think of. The, the phrase is, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But what if it's not? What if there's a genuine offer? What if one time out of a million it's the real deal? And you've got these walls up. You've got these lines of defense up. And all of a sudden the genuine artifact can't get through because you've got these lines of defense up and there's nowhere for it to go. That's what happens so, awesome, so often with these promises of God. We say, no, I mean, perf- perfect place, you know, reunited with my family and friends and reassigned work that's always meaningful and fulfilling. I mean, it's, it sounds great, but I, I don't think that I'm going to kind of get my hopes up, get disappointed. It sounds kind of like a noble lie, something for kids, you know, or, or uneducated people. Um, I don't think I'm going to go for that. I've heard that one before. But you haven't heard this one before. You have not heard this one before. Because this is a different God. This is a different God than all other gods. This is a God who comes down. A God who comes down, who becomes like us, who takes on human flesh, 
who lays down his life, who's raised again in power. It's something that was purchased at great cost to him. So it's not just this kind of Pollyanna idea. It's something that's grounded in this so strange, so unique, it's got to be true story of redemption that kind of gives the whole thing a lot more weight. It's not like these other offers you've heard before. So maybe it's like all the rest. Maybe it's too good to be true. But maybe it's the one thing that actually is true. It's, it's difficult. I'm not denying. I'm not denying that there are all these counterfeits out there. But it does not follow, therefore, that because the world is full of counterfeits, that there is no such thing as a genuine artifact. And that's what I'm thankful for this, this Thanksgiving, is my home. My home that God has promised for me. Let's say it's all true. Let's say the whole thing is true from top to bottom, not just this, this last bit about a home, but let's say everything I've been talking about, that God accepts you by his grace, that God is making changes in your life, that God has a home for you, that God wants to connect you to the, this totally different reality, and that God has a plan for your life, that God is using all the things in your life and bringing them together for good. Let's say all of that's true. What are you supposed to do then? If all of that's true, what are you supposed to do in response? Say thank you. You're supposed to say thank you. And we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about the four ways the Bible says how. So let's look on your program there. Why I'm thankful, and the second thing we want to talk about this morning is how to show it. First way to show it is through singing. Number one, singing. Sing out your thanks to him. Sing praises to our God. Psalm 147.7. And I could have found hundred verses like this one. You know, there's plenty of examples just like this. Sing out your thanks to him. Sing praises to our God. The first way we show our thanks is through singing. Why do we sing? Why do we sing every week? We sing every week. We all, we've got new songs up here every week. Why do we take so much time to sing every week? Some of you get it. Some of you love it. And some of you are kind of like, well, I, you know, I could take it or leave it. So it's good to pause and remember why we do it. And the reason we sing is to say thank you. We sing to say thank you. And it's one of those things that if all of this is true, singing is kind of the only reasonable response. You know, it kind of just wells up out of you. You can't stop it. That has been the experience of Christians for over two millennia now. There have been more songs written about Jesus Christ than any other subject in history. There are more songs written every year about Jesus Christ than any other subject. Every year. Right now... As I'm speaking, as I'm talking to you, I can safely say that the number of distinct songs being sung to Jesus around the world is not in the hundreds, it's not in the thousands, it's in the high hundred thousands, conservatively. It's probably in the millions. I'm not talking about voices. I'm I'm talking about actual different songs being sung right now, simultaneously, as we sit here. What is this about? If it's true, you've got to sing. If it's true, you have to let this come out of your life in song. It's not, it's not kind of an option. It's not for singing types. It's not for people who have this personality. It's a natural response to what God's given us. It's part of the Christian faith. So let's, why, why don't we do it? You know, let's say we want to sing. What gets in the way? A couple of things real quickly, just a little practical things. The first thing that gets in the way is maybe you just, you know, you can't sing. You don't think you're a good singer. Um, the Bible doesn't really care about that. In fact, it says, it says the opposite. It says, make a joyful noise 
a joyful noise. A joyful noise. That's it, just a joyful noise. A pig makes a joyful noise when it eats. That's what you're going for, just audible. It doesn't have to sound like anything. It just has to be an audible, joyful noise. Not everybody is talented as a singer. That's okay. Some of you are, are prison singers, always behind a few bars and never have the right key. Badum ching. Um, been waiting for a while to use that one. Glad it, glad it. It's an opportunity this morning. Um, but the point is, quality, quality is not the issue. Quality is not the issue. Make a joyful noise. Open your mouth and sing. That's the first problem we have is maybe, you know, you're just not a good singer. The second problem is, well, I, I don't know the song or I don't like the song or I don't like the style. I've been a part of a lot of different churches, a lot of different parts of the country, um, and I've run into a lot of Christians who have fallen into saying, well, I don't really like to sing this type of song, or I, I prefer to sing that type of song, or I don't like to sing with this instrument, or I, I would prefer to sing with that instrument. And it's kind of like, did God save you or didn't he? I mean, just sing, sing. It's not this, I mean, God's musical tastes are significantly broader than yours. He likes every type of music, including the types that you don't like. So you can't let style get in the way. This is not about kind of music or aesthetics. It's about singing a song of praise to God, thanking him for what he's done. Now, conversely, opposite of everything I just said, obviously kind of a style that works for you can help. So I I want us to be a singing church. So if you've got songs that you'd like to sing, you know, write it on your card and let us know. Or, you know, this this kind of thing really works or this kind of thing doesn't. We want to obviously be getting better at this as a church. But the, the bigger underlying point is that style shouldn't be the issue. Those are the two things that sometimes get in the way of us singing, but it shouldn't. The Bible commands us to sing a song of praise to God and thanks for what he's done. It's the first way we say thank you. I'm going to just mention the second and third ways. going to just kind of fly through the second and third to save time to talk about the fourth one. So the second way we say, we show that we're thankful is through serving. Number one, singing. Number two, serving. Let me read this first from Hebrews chapter 12. Since we have a kingdom that nothing can destroy, let us please God by serving him with thankful hearts. This goes together with singing. The singing is our mouths. The serving is our hands. We, we say thank you with our lips through singing, and we say thank you through our lives through serving. I love that our church is such a serving church. If you're here for the first time this morning, what you should know is that a lot of people freely volunteered to give up one of their precious days of sleeping in to come and make this happen. Why? Well, I'll tell you what what it's not for. It's not out of guilt or a sense of obligation. Um, If it's for those reasons, you you burn out really quickly. You know, you do it for like a month, and then you kind of get over your guilt. You're like, well, I don't feel that guilt anymore. I did it for a month. You know, what keeps people coming back and back serving like this with, with this kind of like unending supply of energy? It's when you're serving as a way of expressing your gratitude. It's when you're serving in response to what God has given you. Because if, if you're serving in response to God's goodness, God's goodness is not going to run out. So neither is your gratitude, neither is your energy for serving. That's the second way. The third way, number three on your program, the third way we say thank you, we show our gratitude, is by telling. First singing, second serving, third telling. This is from Isaiah chapter 12. Thank the Lord, praise his name, tell the world about his wondrous love and how mighty he is. This is something we focus on 
a lot this time of year at our church during Thanksgiving and Christmas is sharing the good news about God's love with our community. And our news keeps getting better and better. As the world's news gets worse and worse, it's just it's better news than it's ever been. So this is something we really focus on. Uh, every Christmas we send out a, a Christmas card to every home downtown, letting them know about our church, letting them know that God loves them. And one thing that's really cool is to see that um, some of you are here today you're sitting, because the person sitting next to you gave money last year to send out Christmas cards or cards at Easter time. This is something we really emphasize because it's something that it's a way we say thank you to God. You you tell God, God, I'm grateful, and I want to tell other people about it, and it increases your joy. It's not just something we need to do corporately, though, as a church, as a congregation. It's also something that we each need to do as individuals. You have something that everybody else needs. Only you have it. You are the only authority in the whole world. You're the only authority on how God has changed your life. You're the only one that can tell that story. And if you don't tell it, who's going to? I'm not going to. I can't tell that story. And God expects you to share it with the people that he's put in your life. He's put people in your life specifically, counting on you to be the one that tells them. So this Thanksgiving, this Christmas, take some time to think about, God, who is it that you want me to share my faith with this year as a way of saying thank you to you for what, the, for what you've given me? The last and final way that we say thank you to God, that we show our gratitude. Fourth is giving. First, singing. Second, serving. Third, telling. And finally, giving. From Psalm 50, verse 14. Give an offering to show thanks to God. Give him what you promised. Just like these other things, giving is this kind of spontaneous response to what God has given us. All through the Bible, anytime it talks about giving, it first says, think about what he's given you. That's not just kind of like a, a ploy or a neat way to, to spin things. It's him giving first, and then we give in response. And it's that responsive giving that makes it kind of spiritually beneficial. It makes it transformative in your life, and it makes it greatly honoring to God when we give that way. This is really a giving church. It's one of the most generous churches I've ever been a part of. I've said that many times. One of the coolest things that happened last year, one of the coolest things from 2009 was uh, last the Sunday before Thanksgiving last year, the, a year ago today, we set a goal for a one-day offering of $25,000. We said, let's, let's bring, try to bring $25,000 on a single day for these different outreach projects we want to do. And we all showed up, and everybody gave 60000 on one day. and just kind of blew the goal out of the water. It was really, really cool to see God move in everybody's hearts simultaneously like that. So we're doing it again this year. We're, we're having our Thanksgiving offering again. And this year we didn't even set a goal, you know, because it's kind of like, well, what goal do we set after last year? You know, let's just do it again. You know, let's start and do it again. And we did talk about a couple of things that we're going to use the money for. I want to uh, remind you of what those are in a second. But... The bigger, the bigger piece of this is not the purposes of the offering. It's not um, these goals or these initiatives. You know, we have a vision for this church, and we're excited about what we're doing here. But that's not really the big deal. Like I, I said this on the meeting on last Sunday, um, the, a, a church at Ground Zero is a really easy fundraising pitch. We could get money into this church. That's not the problem. Um, the, the issue is 
does God have a hold of our hearts? And do we give freely out of what he's given us? And it's difficult sometimes. It's difficult to let go if our minds and our hearts are in the right place. But once we stop and think about it, all of a sudden there's this, this response that wells up in us. We want to give. We want to give as a way of saying thank you. And that's something that has been so fun to see in this church in the past. And we just say, let's do it again. Why, why do it again? Why do it every year? Because God did it again. Because he changed our lives again. Because he provided for us again. Because he took care of us again. And so we say thank you again. We do it again each year. This year, the offering, we're going to split it into two parts. A third of it's just going to go straight right back outside our doors to international missions and to the poor here in New York City. That's something, both of those things are kind of biblical mandates of things the church is supposed to do. And then the, the, the other portion of it, two-thirds of it, is going to go to our children's ministry, to uh, hiring a, a, a salaried children's director to making some improvements we need to make. And I talked last week during our vision meeting about how that's something really unique that our church does here um, downtown that we want to build upon. So that's what it's for this year. But like I said, the point really is the giving in and of itself. As we close this morning, I want to just touch on a couple practical questions that have come up about the giving offering in case you want to participate this morning. Um, the first thing is that this is above and beyond normal giving. For If you kind of give regularly a portion of your income, this is above that. This is gratuitous giving. It's kind of over and above what you normally do. So if you don't give regularly, um, a couple options. Either A, just kind of sit this out, sit this special thing out and and take the next month or two months or whatever to consider instead giving a, a portion of your regular income. Or B, you know, it's a great time to start. You can use this as the Thanksgiving offering 2010 is the first time that you started giving. The second thing is that th- this is something we announced last week, and this is something that, that most of the families in our church have already been praying about for the past week and have been considering how much they want to give. So if you're just hearing about this for the first time this morning, um, I, I'd encourage you to maybe not participate um, unless you feel really strongly led, but to, to not participate. And maybe we've got these yellow giving guides in the back. You can take one of those home, read through it, pray about it. The reason for that is at our, at our church, we believe that giving in response to pressure or on the spot kind of is going to miss the whole point. You know, it's supposed to be about gratitude. It's supposed to be something between you and God, not something about, oh, I need to pitch in and do my part. So if you're just hearing about this morning, if you haven't had a chance to pray about it yet and kind of think about, God, how much do you want me to give? Then I'd encourage you to to sit it out um, just as a way of making sure you get the maximum benefit from it. The Bible talks about Giving is something that opens us up to God's blessing, but only does that if we give generously. And it's only honoring to God if we give generously. The third thing is I wanted to explain this six-month time uh, frame that we have this year. Last year, we gave the offering all on a single day. This year, we're doing something a little bit different. You can either give it all at once today, or you can give a portion of it today. And we've got these commitment cards, and you just fill out, here's what I'd like to give, and I'm going to give the rest of it during the next six months. Now, that's just purely a, a practical concession to, um, you know, we live in an economy where not everything's liquid. So you may want to give a certain amount, but it's just not feasible this week. Uh, so we don't want that to be the thing that gets in the way. So just, if you want to give it all today, great. If you want to give part of it today and some of it later, great. Just write that um, number on your commitment card and put that in the special Thanksgiving offering envelopes that we provided. If you don't have an offering envelope that says Thanksgiving 2010 on it, what you can do is you can just write Thanksgiving offering 2010 on the on the memo line of your check. Those are the four ways that we say thank you. Through singing, through sharing through telling other people 
through giving and through serving. And as I said at the outset, I want to get an early start on Thanksgiving this year by actually doing these things. You know, I don't want to just talk about them. I want to practice these things before we leave today. So the band's going to come up, and we're going to, uh, we've saved a couple more songs than usual to sing at the end of today's service. Um, we also, what we have this morning is we have communion. The, one of the other names for communion, you may have heard it called a few different things, communion, the Lord's Supper, um, one of the common names for communion is the Eucharist. Eucharist means, if you translate the word Eucharist, it means thanksgiving. Eucharist means thanksgiving. When we take the cup, when we take the bread, the body and blood of Christ, what we're doing is we're saying thank you. It's a way of saying thank you, Christ, for what you've given. Thank you for this gift, and I want to celebrate it. So it's often something that we do with great kind of solemnity and um, soberness, but I want you to this morning to focus on the gratitude, focus on the thanksgiving, focus on the the joy of it. So the band will play a song, and you can come and and take communion, and you can also during that time, if you haven't yet, drop your um, thanksgiving offering in the clear box in the back as an act of worship, and then come back together, and we'll sing a couple of songs together before we go out.